This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. On this first episode of 2023, we'll be looking at three countries in which we've talked about many times on this podcast, on our Voice of the Martyrs website, monthly newsletter, our Persecution and Prayer Alert, and nations in which VOM Canada has worked for many years. I've had the privilege of being in all three of those countries, which are Nigeria, India, and China. In a moment, Andrew Boyd of Release International, a ministry to the persecuted church out of the United Kingdom, will join us for the latest persecution trends report. Again, that'll come up in a couple of moments. But first, here's Andrew with a summary of the annual report. Nigeria, India, and China have been highlighted as countries of growing concern, where the persecution of Christians looks set to increase in 2023. UK-based Release International has just published its annual Persecution Trends Report based on findings from its partners in the world's worst persecution hotspots. The country of key concern for the coming year is Nigeria, where violence is growing. There are fears that Nigeria's presidential election in 2023 could be a step on the way to the breakup of that nation. Release International's partner in that country says every indication suggests Nigeria is at a pivotal point in its history. The 2023 elections will determine whether the nation will grow or disintegrate. Overshadowing these challenges are persistent attacks against predominantly Christian communities in the Middle Belt, and that persecution is now spreading to the central and southern regions. Fulani militants attacked Christian villages with impunity. Last year they killed more than 6,000 Christians and destroyed 17 villages. The violence has driven more than 2 million people from their homes. Along with that has come an epidemic of kidnapping. Release International's Persecution Trends Report also highlights the rise of Islamist extremism across Africa as a major cause of concern in 2023. In Mozambique alone, thousands of Christians have been killed or driven from their homes. A similar picture is emerging in Burkina Faso. Asia now, and in China, persecution is likely to rise as Christians come under increasing pressure to demonstrate unswerving allegiance to Premier Xi Jinping by rejecting the Christian faith. And India is another country of concern, with growing persecution from Hindu extremists. More Indian states are passing anti-conversion laws. Karnataka became the latest in September. A national law to limit the right to convert may follow. Release International says persecution has been on the increase in recent years, and 2023 looks set to continue that trend. You know, the persecution of Christians, unfortunately, is on the rise around the world. And to discuss that and the troubling trends is Andrew Boyd. He's a spokesman for Release International in the UK, joined just south of London. Andrew, thanks for being back on Closer to the Fire. Absolute pleasure always to be with you, Greg. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you for being here. And, you know, it's one of these things, and when we talk about the persecution of Christians, we've been involved in it for a number of years. We have similar backgrounds in terms of journalism and wanting to tell the stories. And I know there's a part of us saying, let's hopefully 
Lord willing, persecution against Christians will trend the other way, but that's just not the case. It's it's actually getting worse. And I think even from the scriptures, we can see that persecution uh, will get even more intense and, uh, you know, just more dramatic as we get closer to the return of Jesus. But let's talk about uh, your report. Uh, how does it work? How do you get the information and how are uh, you feeling in terms of, of the accuracy of it? The information comes from partners on the ground of Release International. Now, these are experts. They're good people as well. They're accountable, and we work with them, just as Voice of the Martyrs does, actually. In fact, some of those partners are shared. So these are people who are dealing daily with the reality of persecution in these different nations. And what we do with this Persecution Trends Report, which is annual, it's been produced annually now for a number of years, it's a little bit like putting up a windsock at an aerodrome. You want to see which way the wind is blowing so you can launch safely. We want to see which way the wind is blowing in terms of persecution. So we look at the kind of trends that are going on. We talk to our partners about what they're actually seeing and dealing with on the ground and their sense, not remotely, not, not the view of the world as seen from London, but actually the view of the world as seen from these different nations. We talk to them and they give us the information. It is not so much like the Open Doors World Watch list, which is a, a superb report, very academically credible, very much figure-based, and actually looking back at what had happened the previous year. Ours is not quite the same. It's not the same animal. We're looking at what we think may happen over the coming year, where the trend is going. You 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 know, to get a, to establish a trend, you need to set up at least three points. So we're looking at what happened, what's been continuing to happen, and what is likely to happen in the year ahead. And the country this year which is our country of key concern for Release International and other others organizations are saying much the same as well is Nigeria because the violence against Christians in Nigeria is growing. It is continuing to grow. And we stand here and look with some horror at the pressures on Africa's most populous nation. It's a huge nation. Millions and millions of people live there. And yet we see tensions within that nation, which could, if unchecked, actually tear it apart. And that's our big concern this year. Right. And, and Nigeria is a country where I have well recently was in and uh, we've done a lot of work with Voice of the Martyrs Canada. I know as well, uh, Release does and our partners around the world and other great ministries like Open Doors. It is tragic. It, and I guess the the paradox there is the way that the church is growing. Uh, it's amazing. We'll talk about how God is, you know, working in the midst of persecution. But again, when you look at the violence, uh, and most of the things that we've covered, Andrew, over the last number of years have come from the north, which is majority Muslim and Christians that are living in the north, uh, the villages being attacked and and girls kidnapped and all this going on. But now it's becoming more in the central part of the country, places like Plateau State, and then even into the Christian South, which again, more majority Christians there, Muslims as well. Uh, and then you've got these elections that are coming up. Uh, things are getting worse. Uh, is it a combination of things, Andrew, that's uh, that's causing this? 
Yes, it is. Nigeria is a very complex nation. You've got many different tribal groups, many different languages there. You've got different faiths. Sometimes it's characterized completely wrongly here as a, a civil war within Nigeria. No, it's not that. It's actually much, much more complex than that. So if you take the north of the country, which is majority Muslim, for example, this is the area where Islamic terrorist groups like Boko Haram have had their base and established their base base. Now, their name, it's only a nickname for this group. The name means Western education is forbidden. What they're trying to do across Nigeria, their stated aim, they've declared war on Christians. That's their words, yeah. their direct words, kill the Christians. That's what they want. But they want to take this entire nation and make it into an Islamic state. They're unlikely to succeed in that. But we know that many of the states in the north of Nigeria, even though it's a secular nation governed by a secular constitution, many of those states have already adopted Sharia law, that strict Islamic law. So you have this strange combination of a country which has nationally a set of laws which are secular and locally over much of the north religious-based laws. You've got two parallel legal systems at work here, which is unworkable. Al along with that, so you've got, you've got a political movement within the North, which is to see Islam established. You have a terrorist movement in the North to do so by force. Mm -hmm. Along with Boko Haram, you have Islamic State, West Africa province as well. The same kind of people who were at work in Iraq. We remember them more readily, perhaps, from there. They are waging a brutal war. And along with that, if that wasn't enough, you have a huge people group. You have a, a group called the Fulani. Now, the Fulani are predominantly Muslim. They're not all militants. We need to be really clear about that. But there is a large militant contingency within the Fulani who have not declared a jihad, a holy war, but they're acting as though they have. So this huge group, these are cattle herders, are moving across the north of Nigeria, displacing Christian farmers. Now, displacing is a nice word. What I mean by that is that typically they'll surround a village at night, they'll fire Kalashnikov rifles in the air, they will drive out the villagers in a panic, they'll lie in wait for them, they'll cut them down with machetes, men, women, and children, and I've seen the victims, and I'm sure you have too. We've interviewed these, these folk who just want to live in peace. They're driving them from their homes, they're taking over their homes, and they're giving them Islamic names. So it may not be a jihad uh, that's yet declared by them, though the other groups have declared a jihad, but it's serving exactly the same purposes. We've seen, according to the UN, two million people driven out of their homes. The, the figures, I get a Google report on my phone every night at nine o'clock, which tells me the latest Fulani attacks that are reported. There are far more than we could ever begin to cover. The country is in flames and it's spreading south, as you said earlier. Yeah, and it's such a intense situation there. And I'm like you, I get, uh, you know, reports all the time on our persecution prayer alert, uh, constantly, you know, hearing stories and, and they're similar. And, and one of the things, of course, we want people to not lose that intensity to pray. Oh, yeah, I've heard that story again. Another village is attacked or oh, more girls have been kidnapped. We can't lose that. And, and I've even said to my wife that, you know, I, 
it feels like I could do Nigeria would just be one country to focus on and spend all my time reporting from there. Uh, you know, of course, our ministries are broader than just one nation, uh, but we work a lot there and we're trying to do the best that we can, uh, you know, with a trauma center that we, you know, partner with uh, Crossroads Christian Communications, 100 Huntley Street, uh, you know, to be able to help these girls that have been traumatized, uh, you know, medical, all the things that need to be done. It, it is so multifaceted. And yet, God is working in the midst of that, which I believe is there's the spiritual battle. We can't forget about that. That's why we need to pray. I mean, and as you talk about, like, even like last year in 2022, uh, you talk about the Fulani extremists. And again, I like you made the point. Many Fulanis, Muslims are wonderful peaceful people. Uh, I've seen examples where communities that uh, our partners are working in, there's reconciliation, they're working together. So there's many great things that are happening. So we don't want to demonize, you know, one group of people, the Fulanis. Again, most just want to live at peace. But the extremists, the Fulanis, 6,000 Christians were killed, 17 villages destroyed. Uh, and as you mentioned, 2 million people driven from their homes. Uh, and there's lawlessness that's going on. Uh, I mean, in talking to your partners and and the effect that that has on the Christians there uh, must be catastrophic. You can't sugarcoat this. And the trouble is, it is so catastrophic, it's almost impossible to get your head around it. And the real problem with something happening on a scale like this, you know, the figures you quoted, really, Greg, they are just the tip of the iceberg. These are just the ones that are reported and we know that there are many more going on that are unreported. So we all struggle to get our heads around it. And, and one of the problems with that struggle is that often what is going on in Nigeria is characterized in the West as simply tribal disputes. It's put down to farmer herder conflicts. Now, the farmers tend to be the Christians and the herders tend to be the Fulani. And it's very easy to say, you know, a little bit like the legend of the Old West in the USA, that this is ranchers versus settlers. It's much, much more complicated than that. And, you know, we were very, very saddened to see the United States State Department no longer regard Nigeria as a country of particular concern. That is a mistake. That is a terrible, dreadful mistake for which yeah. many people will pay for their lives. Nigeria is a country of growing concern, of growing violence. And to actually ignore the religious dimension to this conflict because we can't get our head around it and we don't want exactly as you said we don't want to demonize a group of people we don't want to demonize muslims no way but there is a religious dimension to this conflict there is a stated jihad there is a history of jihads in nigeria and there was a major jihad that took place which only stopped at plateau state in the past we're seeing history repeat itself so the agenda of Boko Haram is clear. The agenda of Islamic State is clear. It's clear in their names. The agenda of the Fulani militants is not so clear except by what they're doing. And we see that they're supported. They're military trained. They are weaponized. They are awash with weapons. There is money flowing into that country to generate a conflict. If we ignore the religious dimension to this, we do so at our peril. But to go back to, to the question that you raised, what is the impact on Christians? You know, sometimes we can look at persecution through the familiar lens of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And 
we see that we get a sense the presence of God was there with Stephen when he was stoned, with Paul, Saul as he was then, with the clothes of all of the of, of all of his group laid at their feet, watching the stoning take place. And we and and it becomes a little bit like Christmas decorations in the background, Christmas cards, it becomes somewhat romanticized. Persecution is violence, it's brutality, it is, it's horrendous. Now, in all of that. God is at work. There's no doubt about that. God is at work. But, it, but, but God's heart must break to see what people are doing to other people. God has given us a sovereign will. He tends not to interfere in our sovereign will. If we choose to do these things, the Lord's word to us is always, come back to me, return to me, and I will return to you. The heart of God is to take the souls of this world and to turn them into the Pauls who become the pillars of the church. So we have to pray for the persecutors. But my goodness, people really, really are suffering brutally in Nigeria right now. Yeah, it, and that's the reality. It's the it's the human suffering. And I've interviewed, and you have as well, girls that were kidnapped by groups like the Boko Haram, uh, forced to have children, then going back into the community, and then the shame that's attached to you know yeah. being sexually assaulted and having children with Boko Haram. I mean, it's tragic. And I'm and I'm grateful that you know organizations like ours are helping you know these girls and and men and and trying to do whatever we can because you know again the church is growing and one of the things that was interesting talking to Yanusa Madu uh he is the director for a Christian solidarity worldwide in Nigeria one of our partners and you know I asked him when we look at the church in the north you look at the church in the south the church in the south unfortunately has had you know, some bad doctrine get in there, uh, you know, that's come unfortunately from the West. And uh, and yet in the North, the church tends to be stronger, uh, more biblical. There's so many things that we can learn from them, uh, you know, in terms of evangelism and people coming to Jesus. Uh, we remember that, but we can't forget about, again, the human suffering. Uh, you know, there's still many, the Chabok girls, you know, many years later are still in captivity. Some we hear every so often getting rescued, and we rejoice in that, but the challenges are so many. And you mentioned as well, United States and, and their changing, you know, Nigeria uh, from a country of concern not to be so. And that has really upset our partners that are working in the country. And when politics and economics uh, trump human rights, I mean, that that is, you know, it's disgraceful, but we see that in China, we see that in India and some of the other countries that, you know, you're reporting on. Uh, before we leave Nigeria, uh, what are your partners telling you in terms of some of the, and we maybe have already talked about it, but the biggest concerns that they're facing as they look into this next year? The biggest worry that they have, Nigeria has an election coming up this year. And what what they fear may happen is that it, it is a pivotal point for the nation. So they their concern is that Nigeria could potentially disintegrate as a nation. We've talked about the pressures within the North to split away the North and make a separate Islamic state. There is a movement to do that. Of course, the terror groups want the entire country. But, but alongside that, there is something in parallel happening within the south in Nigeria, and that is that various tribal groups are saying, enough is enough. This country is becoming ungovernable. We want to set up our own tribal lands. Now, the parallel to that, if you think about what does that sound like? It sounds a little bit like, for instance, the pressure to set up, say, Kurdistan, 
Right. You've got a part of Iraq, which is called Kurdistan, but it's a tiny part of the entire area that the Kurdish people claim is historically their own. So if these various groups uh, really begin to press that agenda, then it looks like increasingly Nigeria might actually become a failed state. It's not yet, but it is looking ungovernable. And one of the problems there is there appears to be no will in the Nigerian government. I hope I'm not doing them a, a disservice, but it just seems there is no will or maybe no ability to contain the spread of terrorism and violence in that nation, or even to defend the Christians who are under attack daily. It'll be going on right now as we speak in Nigeria from Fulani militants, if not others. There's no attempt to defend them. The army, we hear it time and again, that the army is close by but does nothing. The police are close by but do nothing. Why is this? One reason may be that there are elements possibly within the army and in the military that support the notion of turning parts of Nigeria into Islamic states. Don't know. But what we do know is that the militants are heavily supplied by arms and they appear to be trained in military tactics. And there have been cases where military aircraft have been involved in all of this. So something is going on in Nigeria right under the surface, which the the government of Nigeria must take a hold of. And our governments must stand with them and help them and put pressure on them by recognizing that indeed it is a country of special, particular and growing concern. Yeah. And it, uh, again, is the government, when you look at it, and I've talked to many uh, Christian leaders in Nigeria, and, you know, the question I ask you, why is the government not doing more? And as you just explained, Andrew, there's, uh, you know, multiple reasons for that, but it just doesn't appear to have the will. Uh, you know, you talk about the military being in close, you know, close proximity. They were warned an attack was coming, and they said, well, we didn't get orders from, you know, the government to go in, and then Christians were massacred and kidnappings, and we just need to continue to pray for Nigeria. And I know it's a country that we'll continue to talk about you know here on closer to the fire i know you will as well uh and we'll get the information out and the most important thing that we can continue to do and that is to pray pressure our governments uh support ministries like release international the voice of the martyrs open doors christian solidarity worldwide this isn't about trying to raise support just for voice of the martyrs we want to strengthen and help the church that's why Richard and Sabina Wurmbrand started Voice of the Martyrs Release International many years ago to be the voice for those that don't have a voice and to help and, you know, meet the needs that they have and strengthen the church there. Now, before we leave Africa, Andrew, uh, there's a couple of other countries that you mentioned uh, on your uh, Persecution Trends report. Mozambique being one, and Burkina Faso, uh, countries that we haven't talked a lot about in the past. Uh, maybe just briefly, and, and and we'll get back to this at a future time. But what are the some of the things that are going on there? Well, those two countries are part of a region of Africa called the Sahel. And if you can just picture Africa, you know, often we're taught as kids that it's like a couple of potatoes standing on top of one another. The top half 
Sahara Desert, and then it gives way to beautiful, lush green land. Now, it's this region, which is where the desert gives way to Greenland. It's a huge belt that runs right the way across Africa from, from uh, west to east. It's a vast area, the Sahel region. There are many nations there. You've mentioned two of them, Burkina Faso, Mozambique. There are others. It goes right the way across to Eritrea, for example, in the Horn of Africa. You know, what we're seeing happening there is exactly the same as we're seeing in Nigeria. Some of the players are a little different, but you have Islamic State uh, terrorist group represented there. You have other terrorist groups there. And we're seeing that increasingly these nations are becoming destabilized by conflict, by terrorist groups. So everything we've just said about Nigeria, you can take that up, wind that up on a much, much bigger scale across an entire belt of Africa. This is a, a massively underreported story. You know, we talked about how little reporting there is of Nigeria, but that's been going on for years. But what is happening in the Sahel is hugely underreported. And uh, it, it, these militants are gaining ground in that nation, and they're doing exactly the same in that, those nations, those many nations in the Sahel, and they're doing exactly the same there as they've been doing in Nigeria. And, you know, honestly, the world has to wake up to what is going on. So there has been in, in, in Mali, for example, one of those nations, there's been a French contingent there because a lot of these are, are French colonial nations, right. not all of them, but some of them. So there's been a, a military French contingent there and the, the French are reducing the numbers in that country. And so what we're going to see, sadly, is an increase in lawlessness. I'm sorry to be so pessimistic uh, about this. I, if we're going to pray, we pray with we we pray having to know the facts of the matter. We have a God of hope, and we're called as Christians to hold on to our hope. And 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 prayer when we pray for people, that's faith in action. That's hope being expressed out, turned into faith, and it ministers directly to people on the ground. But we can't, I'm afraid we can't sugarcoat the problems that are going on in Africa, Nigeria, and the Sahel region. Yeah. And it, you know, and even doing a program like this, and we haven't even talked about China and India, and, and we will, um, but the, the challenge is because there's so many things going on all around the world and because we have access to information like never before and and again that's part of what we do we want to get the information out so people can pray so people can help and do whatever we can to strengthen our brothers and sisters in christ but it can be overwhelming and so yeah nigeria of course is a big country and then we talk about china and we talk about india and other nations that that are larger nations and have more profile. But again, we can't forget to, uh, you know, be praying for these nations. And I often tell people, Andrew, when I'm speaking or doing podcasts or interviews, whatever, is not to get overwhelmed by all the things that we're talking about. So, you know, mm -hmm. somebody's listening, watching today and going, man, I, that's just too much. It's, it's short circuiting in my mind. I'm just going to forget about it. Don't do that. Maybe God has put Mozambique on your heart or Burkina Faso or Iran or Pakistan, uh, Nigeria. We're going to talk about China now or India. You know, pray for those nations. And maybe it's one family or one pastor or a group of believers in those nations. Uh, and again, don't get overwhelmed by it. Uh, you know, as we pray, as we, you know, say the name, sometimes they're hard to pronounce, but, um, uh, 
the Holy Spirit works in our heart, and that's what we do, and we intercede. That's a part of what God has called us to do. As we're in relationship with Him, we're also in relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, Andrew, you're not being pessimistic. We just want to tell the truth. We're not embellishing this. We want to give the facts. And, uh, you know, I mean, we could be accused, well, you're just, you're sensationalizing. No, we're not. No, we're not. This, this is going on. Um so again, prayer being the key part, and as you're listening or watching this podcast, I'll put on the show notes called the Persecution Prayer Alert. We usually have three items that come out every week where you can be praying and interceding. This is a practical thing that we can do. Let's now move to China. Uh, you have partners in the in that country. We do as well. Uh, and the thing about Christianity, and again, it's just exploding, you know, uh, I've heard 120 to 150 million. Our friend Bob Foot, you know, China Aid says it could even be much larger. Independent organizations, even you know, secular organizations, talk about the growth of the church. It's unbelievable. But you have this atheistic communist government that's trying to do everything they can to stop the growth. Yeah, absolutely right. And China is such an extraordinary country. It's an extraordinary place. And you know, they're making an absolutely fatal mistake in China, which they haven't learned the lesson of history. And that is that the harder you squeeze and stamp down and crack down on the church, the more it refines it, the more people like you and me, by the grace of God, you know, we have the freedom to do what we're doing now, which is wonderful. But within China, you have an atheistic communist party at work there that is squeezing the church. It's not just squeezing the church, it's squeezing its own people yeah. and tightening its grip on its own people. That's long been the policy within China to do that. But, you know, I traveled years ago uh, with, a, with a, a brother in, in this ministry from Voice of the Martyrs USA to Iraq, and he pointed out to me very clearly, he said, persecution is all about power and control. Now, we know there's a spiritual dimension to it as well. Let's not forget that. Let's not gloss over that. It's really important because who's pulling the strings, right? But it's about power and control. And what we see happening within China is that Xi Jinping, the premier, has tightened his own grip on the country. Uh, he's he's standing for increased numbers of terms within that country. He's written himself into the constitution. So he's becoming the the key figurehead within that country, rather like Kim Jong-un is in North Korea. And what these guys want is to control everything. They want to control their own people. And what you can't control, you eliminate. And so what we've seen within China for many years now, and it's tightening within China and technology is making that possible. It's tightening within China is the grip on the church. And now let's just bring the spiritual dimension into this as well, because as Christians, we worship God, we worship Christ. Now for an atheist society, which believes and is convinced there is no God, that doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. If you say that you can't obey us because you're obeying a being who doesn't exist, God, then surely you must be working for a foreign power because nothing else makes sense. That's the kind of thinking that goes on there. But at the same time, just take take that kind of very secular mindset off, put on a spiritual lens and say, what's happening here is in China, the authorities want the worship and they're not getting it. The worship is going to God. And they can't bear that at a spiritual level. 
And so that's why they tightened down on the church. And these things work their way through in, in the policies of the nation. So within China, we see a program of what they call sinicization, which right, means yeah. making China more Chinese effectively. So for them, the crosses that are on churches, those things are Western in their mindset. Yeah, so they the pull government down the control, And those are the government-controlled churches. Yeah, yeah. Th those are the ones that the government has allowed to take place. Uh, and when we talk about that, it's not that they're sanctioned by the government, it's tolerated by the government. These yeah. are the churches that have gone through the legal hoops to get registration that do all of the things that the government insists that they do. For example, you know, if, if we were over there, you've got kids, I've got kids, you're not allowed to take them to church. You can't take any minor uh, someone under the age of 18 or whatever is, is considered to be minor within China, you can't take them to church. It, it would be considered to be brainwashing by the government. So the government does want to do, the government does want brainwashing, but it's brainwashing its way towards its purpose. So that's the, that's the sort of context. But, but what's happening in China, as you rightly pointed out right at the beginning there, when we spoke about it, is the sheer numbers of Christians within China Pew Research said years ago that China was on track to be the most Christianized nation on earth. Yeah. And this happens more and more as the screws tighten, because people say, why am I here? What am I living for? What really matters in my life? If there is a risk that I may die for my faith, then what am I going to do? And, and if we want to look at what actually happens in that context, from a secular point of view, look no further than Ukraine. Look what's happened since yeah. the invasion of Ukraine, the sense of who that country is as a people, what their determination is, their desire to, to be independent and sovereign in that country and to resist every attempt. The same thing happens when you try to persecute the church. People dig in. They're not just stubborn. They, they know what it is they're living for, and they choose to live for God. And we hear that at Release International time and again from people. That's the secret of overcoming faith. It's not about protecting your life. It's about laying down your life and choosing to serve the living God. So the harder you squeeze the church, the more the church is going to grow. The church is certainly growing in China. Yeah, it is growing at a phenomenal rate. It's um, incredible what God is doing in China in the midst of persecution. And by the way, if you'd like to learn more about what is happening in China and go further into that, uh, we have our past uh, Closer to the Fire episodes. I've talked to, I mentioned Bob Fu uh, a couple of times. He is with China Aid. And again, he reminds us that, you know, as the persecution increases, so do the numbers of those coming to Jesus. Uh, but Andrew, it's, you know, it's not just, you know, the pastors and believers uh, that are being arrested, sent to prison, but Christians can lose their jobs. You talk about education. Uh, you know, these children are being indoctrinated. I'm a grandfather now, and I can't imagine my grandchildren being indoctrinated into something that goes against what I believe as a follower of Christ. Uh, so you've got this, this wearing down of Christians, and yet they continue to advance the gospel. They're sharing their faith. It's kind of like you put pressure. And again, this is not all people. Some people that, you know, that pressure comes and and they, you know, they pull back, they shrink back from their faith in Jesus. But reality is, Andrew, many don't. And one of the things that uh, China has been doing because of its advances in technology has been attempting to control the internet. Now, we know that COVID is on the rise once again within China. And even before this current 
uh, explosion in COVID within China because its policies have not been so much about vaccinating people as trying to isolate them and, and, and cut them out. You can't do that. But but even even at an earlier stage with COVID, they prevented churches from meeting. What then happened was that they passed an ordinance which meant that it was no longer lawful to talk about religious matters online. In fact, religion was lumped in with pornography and gambling and all other kinds of terrible vices. So that one church which did book reviews in social media, for example, and one of the names of the books had the name Christ in it. Because it had the name Christ in it, it was banned. Now, churches are trying to get around this by <laughs> by extraordinarily, you know, taking out the I in Christ, if if it were in English, for example, and replacing it with with a with a symbol. That's the kind of thing they're trying to do to avoid the censors within China. So what the Chinese authorities have been trying to do, they've been using COVID as a way of preventing churches from meeting. They've been using legislation to prevent Christians from doing what we're doing now, talking uh, on Zoom. Uh, they can't do that. And all social media. China has a thriving social media. It has Weibo, it has WeChat, it has TikTok, it has all kinds of things oh, yeah. going on over there. But as Christians, they can't use it. Now, that, of course, will be doomed to failure because the early church spread without any of this stuff. <laughs> it spread person to person. And so it, it simply cannot work. But it just means that the Christians have to be very, very careful uh, very wise, very faithful, very much led by the Holy Spirit in the way that they meet. But, you know, if this were happening to you and me, then I think, I hope that I would I would say, oh, it's not it, it's too difficult. I give up. But I'm going to find ways to worship with others and to do what I believe in my heart. God has put me on this earth to yep. do even though the authorities are doing their level best to prevent it, I would just become more determined. And that's what happens with the church. It's happening in, with the church in China, despite all the artificial intelligence. And, you know, it's reported uh, that some of that artificial intelligence is also being used against Chinese nationals who are overseas. Right, so yeah. you mentioned Bob Fu. Bob Fu is also a, um, uh, he's a partner of Release International as well. Bob's home in Midland, Texas, was picketed by protesters. He had threats against himself. Very complicated, very deceptive stuff. They were accusing him of being an agent of the Communist Party of China, which is just insanity. Ridiculous. <laughs> he was a pro-democracy campaigner, hounded out of China by that government. Crazy to call him that. Crazy to think that anybody would even believe that. But, they, but uh, Chinese artificial intelligence, Chinese surveillance, Chinese methods of tracking their individuals uh, are extended beyond china yeah it's scary i mean we know of things that are going on in here in canada and again we don't get overly paranoid about it but it is the reality we have to be careful you know one of the things that we've said at voice of the martyrs canada and i'm sure at release international as well churches in the uk and canada north america in the west really need to hear these stories of our brothers and sisters in places like China, Nigeria, Iran, Pakistan, around the world. When persecution is applied, it can actually make the church stronger. 
And here we complain about, and I'm, I'm concerned about a lot of things that are happening in our country, especially on the moral issues. And I do believe that as we go further along, uh, the Bible is going to be seen as, as hate literature. Um, and again, they, those that are in power, you can see things that are shifting in that direction. Um, we always know the enemy overplays his hand, but we need to be prepared and we need to, you know, really join in that fellowship with our brothers and sisters that know what it's like to be under persecution and, you know, and, and the obstacles we'll be facing in the future. I mean, why would we be exempt in where we live, Andrew, uh, because of, uh, you know, living in Canada, the UK, with the freedoms that we have, that things could change in a hurry. And uh, so, again, the message of the persecuted church, the the strength, the faith of these folks that uh, that are our brothers and sisters uh, can strengthen us in our faith, you know, to be strong and not to compromise. Let's now move on to India. Uh, I mean, you have this persecution from these Hindu extremists. Uh, we've seen video recently of Christians being attacked in Chhattisgarh and other parts of the country. You've got these radical Hindus. Um, they, they're getting emboldened. Uh, you have a, a national government that's very right-wing in the BJP. Uh, I mean, it's becoming more and more difficult. Violence. Then you've also got the anti-conversion laws. I mean, it is getting really, really hard for our brothers and sisters there. Yes, indeed it is, Greg. Uh, India is a country which you you look at from a distance and you think, my, how could this have happened? And where actually is this heading? And one of the directions it appears to be heading in, you've alluded to it there, is that Hindu nationalists and maybe Maybe it might be more helpful to call them Hindu supremacists because it has that kind of KKK feel about it sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, they're seeking to impose anti-conversion laws, one anti-conversion law across the entire nation. The number of states that are adopting those anti-conversion laws is growing. In fact, it's quite difficult to keep track of it because sometimes they pass them and then they tighten them. So we, we know that this is going on. And there is something extraordinarily uh, deceptive at the heart of it, because the laws are not framed as anti-conversion laws, they're framed as anti-forced conversion. Yeah. So the laws are being passed to prevent religious groups from forcing other people to change their faith. Well, two cheers for that. Well, who, would, who wouldn't want to stop that happening? They're also yeah. being framed as a way of preventing someone converting someone else by offering them some form of bribery or inducement to do that well quite right that's that should that's not right that anybody would be bribed to convert but what happens is that in practice anybody any christian organization that is doing some kind of mission work or offering relief aid within india is seen to be using bribery to convert people any Christian that would talk about heaven or hell, well, that's bribery and that's coercion. To talk about sin and the need to repent, that's coercion. That's converting people by force, because that's the notion that's in the back of the minds of those who are applying this. So what's happening is that although the wording of the law on the face of it almost seems to be reasonable, mm -hmm. the spirit and the heart of the people who are bringing in these laws is actually to prevent any kind of Christian outreach. And it, it isn't just directed at Christians. It's probably primarily directed at Muslims yeah. because the concern within India is exactly as we've seen happening in Pakistan, for example, uh, and elsewhere, uh, it's happening in, in quite a number of Islamic countries, is that 
people are being taken, particularly young women are being taken, they're being seduced, they're being forced, forced to marry, and within that context, forced to convert. Now, there is some suggestion that this is this has become an overblown hype and a bit of a myth within, within India, but actually we do know it's happening in a number of places. And it's that kind of fear that has led to these anti-conversion laws. But it's not just fear, there's also a loathing in it. So the Hindu movement, Hindutva, which is Hindu supremacy, which claims that if you are an Indian, you need to be Hindu. Nothing else will be tolerated is the same kind of spirit that we saw at work in that nation when it was partitioned off into India and Pakistan. The same kind of violent intolerance within that nation that led to so many lives being lost. We see the same thing rearing its head again. And one of the reasons for it, or one of the justifications for it, is that so many of India's underclass, these are the people outside the caste system who are brought up to believe that they're not even human beings. Yeah, the Dalits, told, yeah. The Dalits are told, they're taught that they are subhuman. So whenever there's a menial job, it's the menial jobs, the road sweeping, the sewer cleansing, that kind of stuff that gets put out to the Dalits because they're not human beings, are they? Now, when, when the Christian message reaches a Dalit that says you are loved, you are made in the image of God Almighty who loves you yeah. so much that he sent his son Jesus to come and live for you, lay down his life for you to give you dignity and hope and eternal life. Wow. I mean, that message goes down a storm with the Dalits because they, for the first time, these despised people find themselves being loved and they're loved by the others and the strangers within their country, the Christians within their country. So many Dalits, not surprisingly, are turning to Christ and the caste system within hinduism really does not want that to happen so that's part of the context for what is going on within india but religious nationalism is rising everywhere in india it's most marked and i think the real tipping point with all of these things is coercion it's where you start forcing people to uh to to adopt your faith and what these anti-conversion laws are doing by force is actually even preventing Hindus from changing their faith. It's a loss of liberty to ordinary Indian citizens to choose their faith. God never forces us. God is love, and love never forces itself on other people. Wherever you see people being forced to take a faith or drop a faith, it's not God behind it. In talking to some of our partners in India as well, Andrew, as they're saying, there there really are no cases where this is actually going on, where people are being, you know, forced to convert to Christianity. And it's interesting when you think about Mother Teresa, one of the most beloved, uh, you know, people of of you know our generation uh, and in and beyond. I mean, she's still revered as an as an amazing woman. But even what she was doing in Calcutta, 
in loving people, it's like you're using a false means to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. And I mean, there's some even in India that are trying to get her sainthood taken away from her. Um, I mean, it it's just boggles the mind when you think about that. And and I'm against proselytization, you know, any kind of manipulative way for people to become a follower of Jesus, because as you mentioned, God makes it so it's 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 free will. He wants people to, you know, say, I want a relationship with Jesus, but you do anything kind, you know, uh, you know, last night, my wife and I and another friend were down in our inner city, you know, we live in a very cold place. And we're handing out coffee uh, to people that are living in tents in very cold weather here in Alberta, where I live. And uh, and we heard, we actually had heard uh, that there are some cities in Canada that have a bylaw that you can't do that. And you're going, we're just handing out coffee and we're not trying to convert them. We're just trying to show them love and in building relationship. And, and if they ask, well, why are you doing? Well, hey, we're we're just trying to, you know, show the love of Jesus. And uh, so when you get into these anti-conversion laws or these forced conversion laws, I mean, that's that's really on the most part is not happening. And if it was happening, we would speak out against it. But I mean, these are challenging times. And as you mentioned, in the states in India, like Karnataka is an example, back in September, they added, you know, that law as well. And they want to have this national law, as you mentioned. Um, uh, the intolerance levels are increasing. Again, we see the reports of violence, you know, pastors being arrested, congregations uh, being arrested and harassed. And yet again, the reports that we're hearing is that many are turning to Jesus. And I always try to have that, and, and I know you do as well, is to see the other side of it. The reason there's so much opposition against the church is because people are coming into a relationship with Jesus. And we have to remember, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Prime Minister Modi or, you know, the, the leaders around the world uh, or these dictators that are trying to impose their ideology on their people. We know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We're reminded of that. And and also, in, in my experience, seeing that there's this eternal understanding, this eternal perspective that things may not get much better in India and China and, and some of the other places. But when you look at, uh, you know, a place like India, uh, I mean, the long term parts of it, I mean, we need to be helping our brothers and sisters uh, that are, you know, being physically beaten. There's there's medical things that need to be happening there. And I know I've seen that in your report. Also, the need for Bibles, especially in rural areas. Yes, indeed, that's right. There is a need for practical help in all of this. And, you know, I just want to come back on one thing that, that you've mentioned here, because it's so easy for us to look at all of this lot and be hugely dismayed by it. And I know that that's not your heart, and, it, and I know that that isn't my heart, but, but our vision can be filled with horror and violence, and we can become discouraged by that. God forbid that we are. I think that when it comes to praying for the persecuted church, it's a little bit like fasting. You know, when you fast, occasionally you feel hungry. Or when you feel hungry, instead of going, oh, my, I feel hungry, you, you pray. It's like a prompt yeah. to pray. So when we hear these stories of what is going on to our brothers and sisters, you and me, if by some accident of birth we, we, we were somewhere else, this would be us who are going through this. Instead of becoming dismayed or discouraged, it's a goad, it's a little prompt that makes you go, come on, Lord, Father, and pray for these people. And i tell you one other thing we really must avoid. We must avoid becoming furious about mm, all of this. Yeah. Now, the word of God says, be angry, but 
sin not. I think if you look at these things that are going on and you're not angry about it, then you're probably dead from the neck downward because they, they should make you angry. But what we must not do is tip that anger towards hatred or bitterness towards other people, towards cynicism, towards governments. You know, when we talk to Christians within China, particularly who are heavily persecuted, they're portrayed as enemies of the state within China. They're not enemies of the state. They don't want the Communist Party out of power. That may seem strange to say they don't. They pray for their government, not against their government. They want to be good citizens. They want to serve their nation. They want to love their nation. We're all called to do that. Now, there are times when you can't obey the laws of the land, when the laws of the land are directly against the laws of God. You can't do it. And then you humbly have to refuse to obey them, and you humbly take the consequences for choosing to obey the living God rather than the laws of the land. But you don't become furious, angry, rebellious, and rise up or suspicious or stuffed full of conspiracy theories. Because one of the things that there's a real characteristic of the overcoming church is the joy of the Lord is mm. their strength. It's not anger that is their strength. It's the joy of the Lord. So I think that anger, which is a godly thing, is a response to injustice. We have to make the choice by faith to bring that to the Lord, say, Father, turn my anger into compassion, because compassion does something about it. It doesn't take up arms, but it does something about it. It prays, it provides, it cares for, it gets stuck in. It takes the cup of coffee down to the people living in tents in freezing conditions, which you've been doing. It provides funding for the trauma council clinics yeah. where you've been, and I'm going to be going to shortly in Nigeria to see what is going on there. It reaches out to help in practical ways. So I know that much of what we're saying will create a, something of a bit of a turmoil in people's hearts. It can dismay us. It can make us angry. No, we're called to something higher than dismay and anger. We're called to compassion. We're called to faith. We're called to action. We're called to stuck, get stuck in. We need to the, be the difference that makes the difference we want to see. So it's about engagement with all of this. And I would say key to all of that is not so much the huge geopolitical issues that we're talking about here. It's the individuals in the fire who, brothers and sisters, people like me and you, whose stories we can tell, whose photographs we can show, whose videos we can show. We can connect heart to heart, faith to faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ who may be a different color and have a different language and wear different clothes and a different culture. But you recognize a brother and a sister when you see one. And then we carry their stories and them in our hearts. And that fuels our prayer. Let's be a compassionate people, not an angry people, not a dismayed people. Wow, thank you so much for your passion there. I just uh I just really sense the Holy Spirit uh reminding me, I think reminding all of us that when we do hear the stories, and I know when I'm reading about another young girl in Pakistan that's been, you know, kidnapped, teenage girl and forced into Islam and into a marriage, and you know, parents can't get any justice, can't get the police looking for their daughter, and it goes on and on. And you become angry. And I think you're right, Andrew. We need 
to feel that anger. And if we're not, it means maybe we've shut off our emotions and I get it. I mean, it's, it's so overwhelming. I've been doing this now for more than 20 years. I've heard the most horrific stories and, and that anger rises up, but we also need to direct that. And remember that it's a real enemy that's causing destruction. Uh, the people that are leading these uh, dictatorships and oppressing Christians are really pawns of the enemy. They don't know what they're doing. Um, and I mean, well, they may know in some ways what they're doing, but in terms of the overall, uh, per, you know, picture why, you know, Kim Jong-un is, per, you know, persecuting Christians in North Korea as his father and grandfather did. I mean, they're, they're pawns. And we have to remember, we have to pray for enemies. That's, you know, very practical what Jesus told us to do. Um, let's pray because I just think this is so important. Uh, before you do that, Andrew, I just want to remind the people that, you know, we've been talking about this persecution trends report. Uh, there's also Iran on there. Uh, fastest growing church turns to percentage wise the world. We've got Afghanistan, uh, where the Taliban is now back in control, making it even more difficult. Malaysia, a country that we don't maybe hear as much about, but it's also featured on the report. I'll put those links on the show notes along with the Release International website, along with the Voice of the Martyrs website as well. Uh, you can also sign up, as I mentioned, for the persecution prayer alert to be praying. It's the most practical thing we can do. And as the Holy Spirit leads you, uh, to help us, to help, you know, our brothers and sisters in the world. Um, so let's, let's uh, pray, Andrew. Uh, I mean, we've, we put out a lot of things there. We could be praying now for the next uh, few hours, uh, but maybe to lead us and just kind of maybe even as we do this uh, to help those that are listening to maybe know how that they could pray as well. So let's, let's go before the throne of God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. What I always find helpful is a little bit mad, but I find it helpful. I just put my arm out and I picture somebody, mm, okay. maybe a photograph that I've seen, you know, in, in your magazine or our magazine of a brother or sister in Christ. And I put my hand around their shoulder uh, and I say, Lord Emmanuel, you came, Jesus. You didn't just suck your teeth, shake your head and turn away. You came. So Lord, as we picture our brothers and sisters, a brother, a sister, elsewhere in the world, whatever country you stir up in our hearts to pray for, we put our arm around a shoulder. Yes, Lord. And we proclaim you, Emmanuel, God with us. You never deserted us. You never left us alone. You came. You lived. You loved. You showed us how to live. Mm -hmm. And you laid down your life. And you rose again. And we ask you, Lord, to put your arm around the shoulder of somebody and bless them with your presence now. Give them courage yes. where they are faltering. Give them hope where the light is growing dim. Give them strength, Lord. Yes. Lord, fill them with your joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The only way to overcome is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not sheer determination. It's not gritted teeth. It's not just courage. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And Lord, 
We thank you that the entire world envies the joy of the overcoming church. And envy is so much a part in all of this persecution. It's envy. But Lord, we just ask you, may they overflow with joy. May they overflow with mercy, even to their persecutors. May they overflow with forgiveness. May they overflow with faith. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to work in and through their lives to challenge with love their neighbors, their friends, their governors, their colleagues, the governments. Lord, be a sign and a wonder in the church to principalities and powers. You are the God who loves the God who knows us and who seeks to be known. And the other faiths envy that. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and we proclaim your goodness. Mm -hmm. So, Father, we ask you to fill their eyes with the vision, visions of heaven, visions of Jesus. Fill their spirits with the presence of the Holy Spirit comforting them and encourage them and strengthen them. And Lord, what we want to receive in return, because it can't just be a one-way flow, it's a family. We want the courage and the faith and the determination to live well for our God and with our God, to let your joy in your life overflow through us to our neighbors and to our friends and to our colleagues and to our government lord we want to use the freedom that we have mm -hmm. to love and serve not just our brothers and sisters our persecuted brothers and sisters but to love and serve whoever you put next to us mm -hmm. in our nations and be a city on a hill for you to be salt and light for you we want to live well so that we can say actually lord this is one family and we want to be like our persecuted brothers and sisters whose radiant overcoming faith challenges us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, when we do these kind of podcasts, it stirs a lot of emotion. Uh, those that are suffering and yet the goodness and the greatness of our God, uh, the privilege that we get to serve uh, the God of heaven, who you talked about Emmanuel, he just come through the Christmas season, God with us. Mm -hmm. And he is with our brothers and sisters in prison cells, uh, in difficult situations all around the world. And uh, we just want to honor our brothers and sisters because we love Jesus. That's why we do what we do. And and if I could just ask those that are listening or watching, if you could rate this podcast, give it a review, uh, more people will discover it so we can do what we're doing praying and supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus and they just want to be faithful to him. Andrew, thank you for your time today. Thank you for all you're doing, our personal friendship. And, uh, you know, we get to serve this wonderful God and we get to do it together. So thank you, brother. The privilege is absolutely mine. And, you know, just speaking about privilege for a second, this is a mind blower, but the word of God talks about it being a privilege to suffer for Christ. Mm. Now, you and I don't, but we have the privilege of speaking up for those who are suffering. And God's presence with them in the middle of all of that is something beyond anybody's understanding. So 
Thank you, God. And thank you, Greg, for this podcast and for all that you do. Well, thank you again, Andrew. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again real soon. Appreciate again all the work you've done and for Release International, the effort uh, to gathering uh, these reports so that we can, you know, keep uh, our brothers and sisters uh, before the church around the world and again with these podcasts they end up in places that we don't even know but we allow the holy spirit and ask the holy spirit to do what he wants to do and remember the closer you are to jesus the closer you are to the fire 